Hello everyone, my name is Isaac Outerbridge. I'm a Bible worker for the North New South Wales Seventh-day Adventist Church. And it's my pleasure and privilege to bring to you Lesson 6 of the Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary titled Jesus the Faithful Priest. And we've got a memory verse here, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26. It says, For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. What an awesome verse that is. And I will dive into that a little later on in the study. But before we do anything else, we're just going to start with a word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time that we're able to spend in your word right now. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, this lesson, and we ask that you bless us as we study through this lesson. Please bless us with the Holy Spirit. Please lead and guide us and give us knowledge and wisdom and understanding of what we read. And Father, we just ask for yeah, blessings as we study through this lesson, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we dive into the actual lesson, I just want to spend a couple of minutes giving a little bit of a foundation, giving a little bit of context of what we're dealing with when we talk about priesthoods and the sanctuary and stuff like that. So I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes just giving a bit of background context, and then we'll dive into it all. So we're just going to begin with how does God deal with sin? So in the beginning, when God created man and woman, God desired to dwell with them. He desired man and woman to live in his presence with God, being completely unveiled to his creation. This is the first two chapters of Genesis. God speaking all things into existence, God fashioning and molding man into his image and his likeness and breathing into man's being the breath of life. After this, in chapter 3, there was a transgression of God's law of self-sacrificing love. There was a transgression of obedience and a misrepresentation of the character of God. This is chapter 3. Now, in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, chapters 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the book, we see a parallel. We see God giving revelation and understanding to John about heaven and the new earth where the redeemed will dwell in the direct presence of God. A description of ultimate paradise, peace and joy. The whole Bible is bookended with these two chapters at either side explaining the great peace, joy and happiness that God wanted to give us in the beginning than the great peace, joy and happiness the redeemed will face in the future. The whole Bible in between these four chapters is God navigating through the sinfulness, wickedness, and the complete depravity of the world through the transgression of his loving nature to ultimately redeem us and bring his creation back together with him. This leads us into one of the methods God used to teach us about the severity of sin, the pain that it causes him, and the lengths that he would go to eradicate the sin problem. So this week, we're going to look at how Jesus is our faithful priest. Through the Old Testament, we see the description of the sanctuary, a place that God personally and intricately designed in which he would dwell with these people and show them through various symbols the salvation to come through the sacrifice of Jesus. In the sanctuary service, there were many different roles. One of them was the role of the priest. The qualifications of the priest were briefly outlined in lesson two of this quarterly, but I'll quickly brush over them again. So I'll just give you three aspects of the roles and responsibilities, amongst others, of the priests 
in the temple service. So Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, it says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the temple of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priests were to take the blood and sprinkle it around the altar, then take the remaining parts of the sacrifice and lay it on the altar to be burned. Leviticus chapter 10 verses 8 to 11 says, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. And Malachi chapter 2 verse 7 says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So the priest has some, has some roles and responsibilities to take care of, amongst others. He had to take the blood of the sin sacrifice and sprinkle it around the altar before the Lord, then lay the parts of the sacrificed lamb upon the altar for it to be burned. He could not be drunk or intoxicated with wine to show that he was holy and separate from the world so he could have good discernment and he was to be wise, be kept in knowledge and speak the law to the people of God. So as we dive into the study now, Hebrews chapter 5 verses 1 to 10 outlines further specifications for the priesthood. And we'll just read verses 1 to 4 right now of Hebrews chapter 5. And it says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. So here we see the specifications outlined. We have the high priest is appointed to be a mediator between man and God. He must have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. The high priest must be called by God. In the second half of the passage from verse 5 to 10, we see Jesus being the fulfillment of these roles. 
So we're just going to read verses 5 to 10 now of Hebrews chapter 5. It says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So we'll just explore this passage and see how Jesus fits this criteria. So the high priest must have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. This is briefly covered in chapter 4 verse 15 of Hebrews uh, in a well-known verse where the author is referring to and he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7, it, it expands on the temptations and trials faced by Jesus by referring back to the cries, the prayers, the supplications and tears he shed in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his arrest and crucifixion. In this sense, Jesus learned obedience, not because he wasn't already obedient, but he grasped the fuller meaning of obedience by obeying rather than only being willing to obey. And these were some notes from Exploring Hebrews by George R. Knight. Next, he was to be called by God. So this was a reference to his baptism when Jesus received the call from the Father in heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. As well as an echo of the prophecy of the psalmist in Psalms 2 verse 7. It says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And also referencing the call to priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek in Psalm 110, which says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, which is a topic we'll cover very soon in this study. Jesus also fulfilled the essential qualification for priesthood in the sense that he had something to offer. But here Jesus did not have to offer it two levels as did the Levitical priesthood because he was without sin and therefore did not have to present a sacrifice for his own sins. On the other hand, he did offer his own life to every human who would accept his ministry and thus tasted death for all people. Jesus can be our high priest because he can sympathize with our temptations and trials because he has faced and overcome. And that is good news. The lesson continues on to discuss the relationship between this strange abstract character we saw before by the name of Melchizedek and how he relates to Jesus. Before we get into this, we're going to have to keep in the back of our minds that there was a certain group of people that God separated from the rest of the 12 tribes of Israel to be priests in the tabernacle. And that was the tribe of the Levites. As we see in Numbers chapter 16, verse 6, it says, Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you. 
given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So in the sanctuary service, the Levites were the designated line of people to perform the roles of the priestly service. Keep this in mind as we look at Genesis uh, chapter 14 verses 18 to 20 and Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 to 3. So Genesis chapter 14 verses 18 to 20 says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of, a mo of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. So here in Genesis, we see the first and last mention of Melchizedek, any type of Melchizedek's life. And he comes out of nowhere straight after Abraham has rescued Lot from captivity in Sodom and Gomorrah. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, which in Hebrew means peace and where we get the later name Jerusalem. He was a priest of God most high. He blessed Abram and gave Abram and Abram gave him a tithe of all. And we'll explore that pretty soon. This scenario gets expounded further in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave him a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. There is an interesting and mysterious contrast made by both Genesis and Hebrews. One of the most interesting factors that the author of Hebrews pulls out is that Melchizedek was without father or mother, without genealogy. And yet he was a priest of God the Most High. In the context of Genesis 14, this is well before any Jewish nation or the 12 tribes of Israel were established and well before the Levitical priesthood was around. So we're left with this man who was a high priest, not in the Levitical lineage, and even more, Abram being one of, if not the most central and important figures of Judaism, giving this man, a non-Levite priest and king, a tithe of all signifying that Melchizedek was of greater importance than Abram. Although it says Melchizedek had no genealogy, no father, no mother, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, it is not saying that this figure Melchizedek is eternal or has some sort of divinity. It just simply wasn't recorded. This is to symbolize that this man, this is to symbolize this man as a prefigure of what was to come through the high priestly ministry of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus coming from the tribe of Judah, a non-Levite who is now the most high priest of the heavenly sanctuary, who had no genealogy, no father or mother, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, king of peace and righteousness, remaining a priest continually. This introduction of Melchizedek in Genesis also prefigures the inclusivity of the salvation of Jesus, where there is no significance of bloodlines or generations or no significance of tribes or genealogies, but Jesus is open to all who believe, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. I think that's awesome. 
So as we've seen through the study of the relationship between Melchizedek and Jesus, there is an alternate line of priests, not of the tribe of Levi, but of the order and confirmation of God. So if the Levitical priesthood was perfect, why did there have to be a change in the law? And our Hebrews chapter 7 verses 18 to 19 brings this argument to the surface. It says, For on the one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The author of Hebrews is arguing that the sacrificial system of the Levitical priesthood was weak and unprofitable, making nothing perfect. However, the author brings this hope to our attention in the second part of verse 19 and says, On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better covenant through which we draw near to God. What is it that the Levitical priesthood hadn't brought to completion? Again, from George Knight's commentary of Hebrews, he says, Earlier passages have spoken of the hope of being crowned with glory and honor, of entering God's promised rest, and of inheriting the blessings that he promised to Abraham. Those promises had obviously not been fulfilled in the lives of the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews. In fact, they experienced the very opposite, reproach, abuse, dispossession, and imprisonment. But on the other hand, each of the promises had already been fulfilled in Jesus. He has already been crowned with glory and honor. He is already seated in a posture of rest at God's right hand, and his exaltation is a foreshadowing of the fulfillment of the covenant blessings to his followers. Jesus is the one capable of bringing in a better hope as his followers draw near to God through his ministry. Verse 22 en encapsulates this whole notion with the words, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of what the Levitical priesthood couldn't accomplish. The Jews, though, had some contention because it strictly says in the law of Moses that only Levites could be priests. So the thought of Jesus being a high priest was a radical concept for the Jews to grasp. The question is asked on Wednesday's lesson, on what basis did Jesus become priest? This question continues the thought that we left off on with the comparison of the Melchizedekian priesthood and the, and the Levitical priesthood, the two lines of priesthood. Since the priesthood of Melchizedek came well before the induction of the Levitical priesthood, and since the eternality of the priesthood is expressed in the description of Melchizedek, who neither has neither beginning or end, as we saw the prefigured of Jesus, it shows that this priesthood has been an eternal priesthood, an eternal line, not such with the Levitical priesthood, an earthly priesthood, an earthly line. The lesson put it very well, and I'll just quote it here. Jesus received the priesthood on the basis of an indestructible life and because he holds an eternal ministry. He means that Jesus' ministry will never be suppressed or outclassed. 
We can draw great hope from that because if Jesus' ministry is an eternal ministry, it means his word, his promises, his character, himself, they will never be overcome. They will never be destroyed. We are on firm foundation if Jesus is our eternal high priest. One final aspect we'll bring out of this week's lesson is the sinlessness of Jesus as our high priest. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 brings five aspects of Jesus in his ministry. And it says, For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. The characteristics are outlined simply. One, holy. Two, harmless. Three, undefiled. Four, separate from sinners. And five, has become higher than the heavens. Only Jesus could possibly fit all these characteristics. One who is not a sinner, yet who can sympathize with sinners. One who is holy, but one who is, whole, one who is gentle, merciful, and gracious. The promise in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it's a well-known passage. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. We may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, because Jesus has overcome, because Jesus has been tempted in all points as we are, because he sympathizes with our weaknesses, we can come boldly to his throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. It's great news that Jesus is our eternal high priest. It's great news that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you again for this lesson. We thank you for your word and we thank you that you're an awesome high priest to us. Father, we just look towards you. We set our eyes upon you. And Father, we ask that you just keep our eyes focused on you as we yeah, keep on studying through your Bible, keep on studying through your word. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.